Okay, here we are for episode number 755. I don't know. How many has it been? Who knows? I, I, we've got to be up in the mid-80s by now. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> oh, man. Friday recording again. I, I kind of like the Friday recordings. It's almost like a week recap. Yeah, I kind of like that, too. Just because, um, you know, with, with Wednesday, it just felt like we were jumping right into the middle of our week. So nothing was really done and nothing was really... Like we were, we still had stuff to look forward to, but nothing was complete. So we're always kind of frustrated too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, uh, I have a confession to make. I'm doing it, man. I think I'm bailing on OneNote. Uh, yeah, I was curious on that one. I saw, I saw your your thing on that. What would, all right, you gotta you gotta fill me in as to why here. I just it's there's so much complexity to all of these things, and I'm just I feel like I'm wasting so much time middling around with all of the features. That I'm not getting the stuff I need done, done in a reasonable rate, because I'm playing around with. Oh, let me put this here. Let me make sure this is bold, and let me make sure this has a link to this. And most of the time, I don't even end up needing any of the stuff that I'm setting up. It's just I'm using it because it's there. So I don't know. I haven't. I'm bailing on it, but I haven't found where I'm bailing to yet. I have three strong competitors. We'll say. And all of them have their flaws. <laughs> sure. Of course, right? I mean, I, I'm just waiting for, for the day, and I imagine we're probably not far off from that when you just whip out the old notebook again, dude. <laughs> oh, the notebook never went anywhere. As a matter of fact, that was the whole subject of today's vlog. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, I I record everything on paper, but then I copy it down from paper into digital for later. So there's, there's another reason why all these features aren't as important to, for me. Is because I'm not doing a lot of capturing in these apps. Gotcha. I'm just inputting, right? Yeah. So the three that I'm looking at, and I'll tell you the problems, and maybe you can help me sort my, <laughs> sort my thoughts on this. <laughs> uh, so obviously, number one, Apple Notes. It's been something that's come up in every conversation that we've had about Notes and Note apps. Yeah. It's clean. It's simple. Um, my problems with it is the amount of Notes I have. And the organization of it would be kind of a mess once you put that many notes in there. Sure. And number two, half the time I'm working on a computer, especially when I'm working on my large screen, I'm working on a PC. Mm-hmm. And the iCloud.com interface for notes, which is the only way to access notes on a PC, is awful. I mean, yeah. like I was I was putting stuff in and it was throwing in spaces yesterday because I was testing it out. I'm like, I didn't put that there. But then I go back and reload the page and the space wouldn't be there. I, I just don't know if I can deal with that. So there's there's that one. Simple note, which we've talked about before as well. Um, the problem with simple note would be the same problem as Apple Notes. The organization is exactly the same. Yeah. You've got one folder level, except they call them tags. Which is kind of nice because then you could technically throw something in two places, but then now we're getting back into complexity. But no formatting mm-hmm. at all and no photos. I don't use a lot of images in, in there, but it would be nice to have the option if I had to. 
Sure. And then last is one that a lot of people probably don't know what this is. You might not even know what this is. It's called Workflowy. I've heard of it, yeah. Workflowy is actually the top competitor right now. Um, essentially, what Workflowy is, is a giant outline. So all of your, everything is in an outline of a collapsible outline. And I do love outline structure. So essentially, you don't have folders, you don't have anything. You have one document. But on your top level, you, this is where you're going to create your folders is your first tier of your outline. And then when you click that, it drops down and it drops down. And the thing about Workflowy and Simple Note, as a matter of fact, is the search on both of them is lightning fast. And it's really, really strong. Um, they do one thing that Apple Notes doesn't do. So Apple Notes, when you search for something, it'll tell you that something's in a note. But when you open that note, it doesn't show you where that word is. It doesn't highlight it. Yeah, doesn't. Yeah. And when you have longer documents, that's kind of important. Especially when you're looking for information, uh, sure. Workflowy and uh, Simple Note both do that. So it's it's kind of it's kind of nice. The only flaw, once again, with for Workflowy is the interface probably hasn't been updated in five years. I don't know if it needs to be because the features aren't changing. But the iPhone app is not perfect. I guess is the way to say it. Uh, the the problem though is, I mean, what level of support will you have on that? If the like, I, I know with a few of the my beloved apps, I can't even think of any of them right now. But um, there are some that that stopped being supported by their original programmers, and so after a certain update, they just no longer work properly. So that could be a problem. Yeah, the only thing I don't think Workflow is going anywhere because they've been around for a really, really, really long time. Mm-hmm. Um. I might be exaggerating. I'm actually looking right now, so I can, if I can see. Um, and I feel like they're owned by somebody. Like I want to say, like they're owned by Automatic, but that's who owns Simple Note, I believe. I might be confusing all of my information. I've been reading a lot about this in the last few days. Um, and there's uh, another thing I should point out to you and to the listeners: Apple Notes, of course, if you have an iPhone, it's free. Simple note is free. Workflowy costs money. Um, I don't know. It's it's it sounds like a ridiculous thing to people who don't know me very well, but my note collection, you and I were just talking about this yesterday. My note collection is extensive. Yeah. And I use it frequently. For example, in in my recent vlogs, now that I'm focusing on themes and going into I'm really digging into ideas more, mm-hmm. I'm I'm typing these words of these themes into right now into OneNote to pull up, see if there's any pertinent quotes that I can enhance my vlog with. This is data that I'm pulling up on a daily basis. So finding the right note app is actually number one on my priority list in life right now. Sure. That makes sense. And I, I just, it's so frustrating because I know what I want and nobody makes it exactly the way I want it. Well, I guess the the question really comes down to how, because Apple Notes is, is it, it sounds like a good option. It's just yeah, you're right. The PC interface is so garbage um, that it's it's almost unusable. It's it's so annoying. Plus, I mean, the, and I don't know if you have these issues as well. Um, I remember us talking about this at some point, but the sync speed on Apple Notes is so ridiculously slow. 
um, that I, it's it's almost unusable from that perspective too. I think they've been working on that because I did test that yesterday and I was surprised because I expected that. They, uh, I think they may be working on that, which I'm what I'm hoping is maybe there's something in the works. Last night I opened up the uh, iCloud.com interface, like I was saying, mm-hmm. and I and I was typing. Uh, granted, I wasn't typing large amounts of text, but I was typing a couple of letters in and just watching both of them side by side mm-hmm. to see how long it took. And it was about four seconds, which is not too bad. Yeah, that's actually surprisingly quick. So that's 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 good to know that maybe they are aware of that, considering that they're not aware of how awful everything about iTunes is. Sure. <laughs> Well, I, 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 with iTunes, I think it's more us being held hostage um, versus, you know, because I, I honestly don't think that if, if, if you just jumped into iTunes now, for example, and you had no concept of what it was before the previous, the, the, the you know, the current iteration of the interface, you wouldn't know. You know, you'd, you'd, you'd think it was an amalgam of all of these, these other, um, these other cataloging programs slash music players. Uh, put together um, and implemented so-so. So I don't think it's that bad. The problem is we, we've we had the experience with the previous version of a, a more rockin' version of iTunes. So so we understand what it's supposed to look like or what we wanted it to look like in its ideal situation or in its ideal version. Um, and I remember even going through this with you know iTunes as, as it was evolving. So every single version of iTunes past maybe six versions ago has gotten progressively more annoying. And I can't say worse because worse isn't quite accurate because they're, I, I definitely see what they're trying to do with certain aspects of the program itself. I just didn't personally like them because they strayed so far away from what the original program was supposed to do. It goes back to the thing you were talking about last week where they're now trying to cram so much crap into iTunes and make it do so many different things that it's just become a cloudy mess of unfinished tools that want to do a lot but can't really achieve anything. So this morning... I had an experience with iTunes. Uh, you know that I've quit streaming. So I have... Um, oh, actually, I have a good thing to say about it. Is <laughs> No way, really? <laughs> uh, before how I mentioned that uh, it would show all of the music that I had added to the... Um, I Apple Music, sorry, there's so many names. <laughs> to the Apple Music library, but it was just streaming stuff that I don't own. And then when I canceled the streaming, it would still show those albums. Those all disappeared finally. Oh, wow. So I don't know if they updated something or if it just took that long. <laughs> so that's that's a positive thing. But now seeing how little music I had in there, I started grabbing some CDs. I'm like, all right, let's put some music in here. Let's put some in because I didn't – I don't have anything. And I took everything out of iTunes Match mm-hmm. that was available via streaming because I didn't want to use up that space when I was going to get it through streaming, right? Yeah. So I took an album. I, I haven't done this in years. I plugged in the disk drive into my Mac, mm. and I inserted the disk, and I did the whole import into iTunes thing, which surprisingly took me a few minutes, to, not a few minutes, but a few seconds to remember how to do it. Got it in. It's in iTunes. Very quick. I was like, cool. Awesome. Maybe this new update, because I just had an update this week, right? Maybe this new update is um, fixing some of the bloat. And then I'm looking at it and I'm going, where's the cloud icon? Where's where's the cloud icon that tells me whether this is 
finished uploading into iTunes Match or not because basically I wanted the CD available on my phone. Sure. And, you know, I pay whatever, it's $25 a, a year for that service. Uh, there's no cloud icons. So now I'm searching through the interface, searching through the menus for for maybe maybe there's a, you know, something I need to click that says add song to iTunes match. No, no, nope, no, not in any of the menus, not in any of the preferences, nothing. Now I'm Googling. Now I'm looking. <laughs> After 20 minutes, I gave up and I left. And I don't think I'm ever going to open iTunes again. That's how annoyed I was. Mm. I mean, I can't even get my music. I'm paying $25 a year. I can't even get my music into my phone. Apple, what's wrong with you guys? Yeah, that seems like a, a, a bizarre oversight considering how many people. I mean, it, it, because Apple's entire thing is to try to get you to exist purely in their ecosystem. But if that ecosystem is fundamentally flawed, especially for people like you and I who have been iTunes users for literally a decade um there are so many things that that we we have in those libraries from those various different versions that if we can't have access to it easily or quickly but we're just done like i i gave up on itunes a long time ago i can't even tell you it's probably been maybe a year um since i i've even opened itunes much less used it for anything useful um, the only thing i use it for these days is when i occasionally produce a video or something like that that requires me to to, to download something out of my library in order to use it as background music. But other than that, I don't even touch iTunes anymore. And the, the fundamental problem I have with this whole Apple philosophy is, is there's two apples going on. That's, our, that's my big problem. If we just had one of them, I could accept them for what they are. Mm -hmm. And I don't have a problem with either of them. It's just a matter of, you know, obviously one is one way, one's the other way, and you have to make sacrifices to accept that. And and the sure. two apples that we're dealing with is the apple that wants to make everything simple that anybody can pick up and use. The mm -hmm. apple that removes features from Final Cut Pro and and pisses off all the professionals. And then you have the apple that's bloating things like iTunes and adding more and more stuff that nobody, even somebody who, like you said, is experienced with iTunes, can figure out how to work. Mm -hmm. So which are you guys going to be? You're going to be the feature-rich company, or you're going to be the basic stripped-down company. Make mm -hmm. up your minds, because we're not going to give you our money anymore until you figure out what company you are. And considering that most of us now have more options, I mean, don't get me wrong, the options aren't great either, because I mean, if anyone who listens to the show can can find a running theme, it's the lamentation of, of Windows 10, um, and how annoyed we are at the, the updates that constantly end up screwing up our computers in one way, shape, or form. Um, but, but if, if, at least they're consistently crappy. I, I hate to say that. I understand <laughs> at, at why least, they are. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. I, at least they're broken the same way most of the time versus Apple where you just don't know. I mean, you just, they, Apple Notes still, you know why I, I haven't used Apple Notes? It's because I'm scared to. Not because I don't think that it's an awesome concept and it has potential for a lot of great potential for, for being a good part of my workflow. I just, I, I just, I just think they're going to break it, you know? Mm-hmm. And and that's one of my one of my big problems, you know. It's like while I'm bailing on one app of theirs, I'm looking at another. And to be honest, like Microsoft, the reason Microsoft things are broken is because they know what kind of company they are. Yeah, they're a complex, bloated, feature rich company. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's what they are. And if you if you can't accept that about them, then that's fine. They they don't they're not looking for you. You're not their audience, right? 
Sure. And and that's why you and I fundamentally have problems with with what they do because you and I are Mac users at heart. Sure. We want we want things to work that way. Mm-hmm. We want like we've we've another theme that comes up a lot in the show is I just want things to work. Yeah. I don't have time to to soup this up. I don't have time to rev this up. You know, like I was on Facebook the other day and I saw an old friend mentioning how um, uh, Windows 10 is not that bad as long as you use uh, something, you know, a, a Windows optimizer and going, you know, this one's the best. And my whole thought was, why do you have to buy a computer and software and then buy some other third party thing to make it work right? Yeah. That, there's a fundamental problem there. But people who like that like that. Mm-hmm. And that's cool. I'm not that person and you aren't either, I don't think. And I don't think most people are, to be honest with you. Um, you know, I think about even even some of the, the, the tech savvy people that we're friends with, like no none of those people are gonna go out and research what Windows optimizer makes Windows 10 not suck as bad as it does. You know what I mean? There are so many people, and and we know a lot of people in the tech. That's basically half our, our group of friends are are in tech in some way, shape, or form. And unless you have a a constant need for a, a UX that that is consistent or a UI that works a certain way, you're just not going to do that kind of research. You know, I look at a guy like Brandon, for example. He's a heavy, hardcore 3D rendering guy. He edits videos all the time. But I can't even see a guy like him going through and looking for Windows optimizers unless something breaks so badly that he needs the optimizer just to make his tools work again. It's just, I mean, to me, it's just a waste of time. Like, why should you have to... I mean, okay, in in the case of Brandon, for example, if he had to go get something like that because he's really putting a lot of work onto that machine, mm-hmm. I understand. You know, like if you're if you're taking your car out to the racetrack every day, mm-hmm. you kind of need to get a tune up more often. Sure. But if all you're doing is driving to the grocery store or checking your email, you shouldn't have to optimize anything. Yeah, and I feel like there are a lot of really critical flaws that are are very basic things that go wrong all the time on Windows 10 too. Like, you know, the the problem that we were talking about a week ago, where the USB bus would just freak out and stop recognizing USB devices. Um, you know, we we have that problem with the desktop that that Crystal's been using for, um, you know, her work stuff. Like, it, it would just randomly kick off the wireless card and. You know, you also have problems with the sleep feature. These these are fairly common features that people use all the time. So you would assume that at least on some level, um, the Apple or I'm sorry, uh, Microsoft would would make a concerted effort to fix the problems that affect very basic everyday use. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest. Like, who doesn't use the sleep feature and doesn't use the USB ports on their computer? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. If, if you don't use those things. May I introduce you to the iPad? Yeah. <laughs> because or, or, you don't obviously need a computer. Yeah, or here is here is a rock and here is here is another rock and some kindling and you might want to try to make a fire out of that because you haven't quite discovered fire yet if you're not using USB devices. And that's why I love paper so much because you know what? When I pull the paper out, that's that I know what it does, I know what it's going to do and there's no complexity to it. It's also really good for starting fires. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's that's probably why the note-taking app being simple is so important to me is I need a digital experience as close to 
the simplicity and the flexibility as paper of paper as I can get without making me have too many features to distract me. All right. So what's it going to be, man? Which which one are you headed towards? I, I, I at least on some level, I already think that Apple Notes is out just because the PC interface is so terrible and you use your surface all the time, especially when I have to type long passages of things like that's not going to happen. You're right. Yeah. Although although OneNote does allow you some of that. Um, yeah, more the, complex formatting capabilities, you know, pagination and, and control over what goes where. Also, the sync across uh, PC and Mac is pretty good. So is that one still in the running? No. Really? It's too feature-rich for me. Mm, it's okay. too distracting. I, I have no problems with the way it functions. In, in all honesty, if you need a powerful note-taking app, that's the one to do. Yeah. My problem is, is I'm spending too much of my life using features, adding things into notes that I don't, I'm never going to use. It's, it's like the reason I left Evernote when I realized, uh, you know, it's like I have tags, hundreds of tags. I never use tags. I never actually search for the tags. So all I really want is I just want to be able to put notes in and to be able to give it some kind of structure. So I guess I'm going with workflow, I guess, from what I just said, Mm -hmm. because it's the only thing that can do both of those. Yeah, um, considering I mean, with what you're describing as the the projects that are in your your near future, having a a note taking app that that works the way you need it to is just vital to your survival. And the the problem, I guess, really like I know workflowy feature wise is 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 the closest thing to what I need. And this might sound crazy, but I think some of the listeners out there are gonna connect with this and i know you definitely are the problem i have with it the reason the only reason the other two really were in contention is the other two are really beautiful Mm -hmm. yeah and it feels good to go into a beautiful app with a good user interface and it's not that workflow is ugly it's just it doesn't have the polish that simple note does for example simple notes even more beautiful than apple notes as far as on the computer um and Apple Notes on iOS is it's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Um, it just it's so clean and it feels like okay, I'm opening this to make a note. It it feels like what it should do. Sure. And I don't know. I I'm I, basically here's what we'll do for the listeners in the next week. I will slowly begin migrating notes into Workflowy and using Workflowy exclusively, and I will let you guys know what happens. And if it doesn't work out, I'll try one of the others. And this could be maybe an ongoing theme of me testing notes apps. Well, I mean, I, I hear you, though, when it comes to that. Like, I, I, I keep, like, I'm, I'm literally forcing myself to use Spark um, just because it is probably the most simple but reasonably comprehensive mail client there is for the iOS. Um, but I, I, it's just still, it's just still so ugly to me. <laughs> yeah, Here's I, one to I try. Have, I, I absolutely love it. I absolutely love it, but it's just so ugly to me. Try airmail. Yeah, I've heard of airmail too. I was thinking about that. It does everything that Spark does, and the interface is a little bit more attractive. I've been using it for the last week. You, you know, you know what? I don't want to get into Chad. You're you're you are now tumbling down so many different technology rabbit holes, um, and I can't imagine what that does to your 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 potential productivity. Um, and I'm just really scared about diving into to the same rabbit holes and trying to figure out what 
email client's going to work. Like if this one right now does a reasonable job and does most of what I needed to do, I think I'm just going to stick with it just because I, I, I don't want to learn something new again. You know, you know what I tried for about three days mm. after our last talk is I tried using Apple mail for three days. Mm. I said, maybe I don't need snooze. Maybe I don't. <laughs> and it was, it was okay. There's just, there's just, I don't know. It still just does not do what I needed to do. And I ended up wasting a lot of time using the app. Yeah. I do love the VIP feature. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember if Spark has that. I think Spark might have that. Airmail has it. To be honest, 90% of what I need an email app to do is to hide stuff and delete stuff and mark stuff as spam. I'm not doing a lot of reading and sending comparatively. <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, I agree. I'm the same way. So those those four, you know, which is very common in, in email apps now is those four directional swipes. You know, you have the short left and the short long the and the short right and the long right. I probably said that wrong, but you know what I mean? I get it. Yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> um, Airmail does it. Spark does it. Um, a few of the other ones. Polymail, I think, does it. Yeah. Um that's that's essential because of the time saving right there. And because I know most of the things I don't need to open. <laughs> you know, do I really need to read this 50th email that I received from Amazon today? No, no, not really. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's... I don't know. The, the question still comes down to just how it affects productivity. I mean, for me, for example, at, at least of late, because I have a full-time job that sucks away large chunks of my time, um, I want to dedicate as much time as I can to creating. Um, just because I feel like when I don't create, it's kind of like working out. Like I feel like my, you know, when I don't work out or when I don't do anything physical, my body becomes more um, sluggish um, and lackadaisical, and I feel like my brain kind of goes through the same process when it doesn't have enough stimuli, at least when it doesn't have enough outflow. So I don't want to try to figure out even more tools. I just I I can't do it anymore. I I'm, I'm I've reached some kind of weird breaking point over the last couple of weeks where I'm so frustrated with having to relearn um, new new applications that are supposed to do certain things that I've just kind of given up, and I'm just going to use what I've got for now. That's exactly why I'm bailing on OneNote. It's exactly mm. how I'm feeling. It's 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 just a matter of exactly everything you just said. I don't even need to repeat it. You said it perfectly. I'm tired. <laughs> I'm tired yeah. of of just tired. I'm so I just want to do things. And you know, like the other day, I turned off my phone for a few hours, and that was so nice, just because it's like. What am I doing right now? This. I'm doing one thing. I can't. Oh, I can't get distracted because this stupid thing is turned off. And I think that's essential to creativity. And I mean, you have a note here about the pros and cons of working directly. I mean, uh, wow. Pros and cons of working remotely. And I think that plays into the whole creativity thing, too, and the tools thing in the sense that, like, I need tools because I, I, I work remotely. I have to have these tools, mm-hmm. but I can't let the tools get in the way of me doing the things that are important, which happens a lot more than I yeah. want to admit. Well, I mean, when you were talking about, so remember, this is this is something that I've been meaning to talk to you about for a couple of weeks, and I think we're finally at a place where, where it makes sense to talk about it, but... So, so in your current life, you write things down in a notebook, but you then translate them over to 
um, you know, some some sort of digital medium that you can track and sync um, with various devices. Um, but I, what I wanted to what I wanted to try to figure out with you was if there was a distinction between your creative work and your work work, and how it differed um, using those various mediums for one or the other. Essentially, it's the same. Yeah, I, I treat I treat all of my creative stuff as work. Got so ev- everything's fundamentally the same. Um, I don't know. Clarify, maybe clarify your question a little bit more. Well, I guess what it came down to was trying to figure out what interface worked best for the creative mind versus the productive mind. For example, I find that I am uh, much more able to be creative with a pen than I am with a keyboard. Um, but when I'm writing, I like to write on something clicky, like a typewriter, if I have access to it. So it's it's that 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 age old question of which interface makes the most sense for what type of work. I I think that no matter what, and it's funny because we're a tech show, but num- paper is always number one. Mm. Nothing will ever compare to the flexibility of paper for almost everything. Um, I mean. Paper can do things that you can never get an interface to do, which is, hey, I'm in the middle of writing a word. Now I want to draw a bird. And (laughs) being able to put anything on the page wherever you want, being able to go back and scribble something out, write something in the margin, all of those things. Yeah, it doesn't come out as pretty as things on the computer, and it's not searchable. But that flexibility as far as creativity is paramount. Um, second comes the typewriter for me. Mm-hmm. Um, when it, the reason I like to use a typewriter when writing for creatively, like a novel, um, is because it's too easy to go back when you're on a computer mm-hmm. and get lost in in a sentence without creating a flow. I, I prefer typewriters that don't have corrector ribbons. That in that way you just have to deal with spelling errors and all of the grammatical errors and everything, and it just forces you to move forward. It's the best way, even actually over paper um, and pencil, to get a first draft out because there's something. Even the sound of it is locomotion. It's movement. It's it's, sure. it's there's there's mm-hmm. something visceral about it that a lot of people have lost. Um, I think that's part of, like you said, why people like clicky keyboards. I've kind of been noticing that because, unfortunately, I bought myself a clicky keyboard, and I heard it in last week's episode when I was searching things. So I'm ser- I'm going to search for less stuff in this week's episode. Um, but yeah, I think that's that's the order for me: is paper, pen first, typewriter, keyboard, computer last. I think. I I swap typewriter and, and computer on my own side just because for me, actually when I'm writing, I like to create ecosystems for my writing as well. And I know that that sounds strange and I don't know, I, I haven't met another person in the world that actually does this, but I find that when I'm writing a certain style, I like to pick fonts and formatting based on that style. Hmm. That makes sense? Yeah, totally. Um, and so like if I'm writing a, a, a scientific not a scientific, but a sci-fi-ish short story or, you know, uh, uh, something something in that particular genre. Um, I like to go with a sans-serif font that's a little more angular um, versus, you know, doing something that's a little bit more poetic. Like poetry for me, for always, for some reason, is always a certain font. And I feel like creating 
that environment or ecosystem puts me in the mood to write it properly. I know that sounds strange, but it's like putting on a certain pair of shoes to do a certain activity. Nothing strange about stimuli inspiring anything that makes complete sense from a physiological standpoint and from standpoint of somebody who's a creator. Yeah, I understand. And I think part of the typewriter thing is the same thing is the typewriter is that font for me in a way. Sure. sure that makes sense. Um, do, you find, do you find that the tactile sensation also contributes to that for you? Yes. I, th- I think there's something about the battering. There's a, cause like the typewriter I, I have is pretty old. So there's a, a certain amount of brutality involved in typing it. <laughs> it's not smooth. Um, it's not as bad as the typewriter I actually um, grew up using, which literally like I, if I typed for more than 20 minutes, I would have to get a pencil and start hitting the keys with the pencil because my fingers would start separating from the nail. Jeez. Uh, yeah, it was an old typewriter. <laughs> wow. Yeah, you might as well pull out a chisel and a hammer at that point. Good Lord. And that's probably part of the reason I have an affinity for typewriters, too, is um, I didn't have a computer. I didn't get a computer until I was a senior in high school. Yeah. So all of my school papers and everything, all of that stuff was done on a typewriter. Huh, crazy. So that that contributes a lot of it as well, I guess. But, you know, you got to find what, like you said, the font thing, the ecosystem, as you described it, it's about finding what works for you. It's yeah. not about, you know, people shouldn't do what I do. You know, if all of a sudden I tell people like, hey, a typewriter is great for locomotion and may, makes you move forward, for me, doesn't mean if you go buy a typewriter, you're going to all of a sudden be able to write Hemingway. I can't even write Hemingway, but I got a typewriter. Yeah, it's funny because I think I think too few um, people like I think for me right now I'm in this I'm in this horrible and crippling phase of writer's block in my life and I think a lot of it is because I am not in the environment that is conducive to me being inspired to write and I haven't really created that for myself. It's not that my thoughts have changed, it's not that I'm any more or less creative than I was when I was writing a lot. It just it's just the environment itself. Like for me for some odd reason, especially when I write poetry, this is very strange, but I write poetry much better when I'm in a classroom. I know that sounds odd, but whenever I'm I'm in a classroom and I have that desk and I have those people around me, you know, um, and there's that weird hush and, and 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 this creative energy that's kind of flowing through the room, I feel like I write poetry better. And because I can't reproduce that environment somewhere easily, I feel like I've I've been having more difficulty writing that style. It's very strange. I, I kind of I, I get what you're saying in the sense that um, I think when I was younger, I did a considerable amount of writing while I was in class. Yeah. Um, it's mainly because I wasn't paying attention, <laughs> but sometimes I don't know, like there's something to be said about being put into a circumstance that you're going to tune out that all of a sudden it forces you to have a focus that you sure. wouldn't have normally had. Like, for example, you know, the best times I've ever had meditating, this is going to be weird in the dentist chair. Uh, when I'm forcing myself to breathe properly, I got to breathe through my nose because they're doing something in my mouth and I'm trying not to pay attention to what they're doing in my mouth and all of a sudden I find myself in the most relaxed state. But what my question going back to what you're saying is how much of the writing block though, do you think is, is it based in fear? Fear Uh, of of making something imperfect. I don't, I don't think any of it. Um, which is funny because I, I've, I've so, you know, it's funny, but there's an irony to where I am in life right now, which is, you know, I've had, I've had some crazy health problems lately. I've been working a ton. I have a gnarly commute. Um, and, and, you know, I'm 
I'm contemplating every single day whether or not I should stay in the Bay Area. So I don't have time to worry about whether or not any writing that I do is going to be good or bad. I just, I just can't get the words out. <laughs> I know that sounds really strange, but it's not any more descriptive than that. Like I, I think part of it is because all of these other things are, 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 are going on. Um, this is part of the reason why that last blog that you did resonated so well with me, which is I, there it's, Except I've gone in the other the other direction, which is I have so much stimuli in my life that are that are not creative stimuli that it just becomes really difficult for me to find find enough focus to put um, a, a, a string of words together that accurately describes it. Right. Well, I mean, channel capacity is a huge thing. There's only so much that we can. We can contain it one time. If you've if you've got all of these things going on, of course you can't write because um, there's no part of your brain left to create those thoughts. Sure. And and that's going back to the top of the hour, as they would say. That's going back to the problem with these apps is I'm spending so much time with these things, just like you're spending so much time with your personal and your work life, that it's it's impeding our creative lives. Sure. And mine is more easily dealt with than yours is um, in the sense that all I have to do is download another app and stop messing with the features in it and just <laughs> deal with it. Um, but I think that focus is, a th- is it's, a, it's a thing that you have to really make a choice about. Mm-hmm. You know... For example, I don't know. Uh, let me just ask you this before I continue. Do you want to share any of the details? Like, for example, yeah, that's fine. I don't care. I okay. mean, it's, it's 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 nothing crazy, so it's it's fine. So you've been having anxiety, which I'm very very familiar with, mm-hmm. and anxiety is from over focusing on the wrong thing. Sure, which is you know a little chirp in your body a pain in your chest which most of the time is usually a muscle pain but something in our brain tells us that it's inside of our heart and inside it's inside or for me i used to get like um anxiety would create these like crazy electric shocks across my pecs so it would feel like like if you could imagine like little bolts of lightning spreading out like a hand Mm -hmm. across your pec i used to get that and then that would drive me into into a panic attack and I think that that's why focus is so important, why focus is what it is, because focus is something that you have to control. Sure. You know, just like a flashlight, you got to tighten the beam, you got to spread the beam, depending on what you're looking at. If you're turning a screw, you want to tighten that beam in just on that screw. But if you're trying to look at a room, you want to spread the beam out. And when you're over-focusing on something that's giving you anxiety, that means that you focused yourself in a way that's unhealthy and the fact that you don't have time to write is probably because you're eating that part of your brain up or that um, capacity of your brain up with worry and stress and horrible unhealthy thoughts that we all have you know what's funny is is i used to be i used to preach this to people so much and I, i find myself in a situation now where i wish i could i wish i wish me from five years ago could speak to me now and tell me um, this very important state, this very important thing, which is 
don't worry about what you can't control. Just just deal with what you've got in front of you and, and deal with it the best way that you can. And I think that's that's my problem right now is that it, it's not only that I'm just focusing, but it's that I'm focusing on things that I have zero control over in my, my current situation. Um, right. And I feel because of that, it's it's just cyclical. Um, I continue to worry about these things because they have no resolution and I continue to worry more and more and more and more until they just literally consume every every ounce of energy or 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 happiness that I have, and I think that's the biggest, the biggest, the the, the biggest thing that 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 I've noticed is, um, you know, physiologically, obviously there there are the symptoms that come along with that, but I feel like the the amount of worry that I have in my life just makes it very difficult for me to find ways to be happy. Even the things that used to make me happy um, don't don't really quite fit that bill anymore. Um, so for me. It's not even about looking for things that make me happy um, right now. It's about finding things, finding ways to not stress about the things that, that, you know, obviously at some point they need care and they need to be dealt with in whatever way that they need to be dealt with. But if I can't do anything about it right now, I need to learn how to not worry about it. <laughs> you know, this, is, this might sound funny, but uh, there's a quote that has stuck with me for years. And I remind myself of it all of the time. It's from Van Wilder. Huh. Worrying is like a rocking horse. It keeps you busy, but it doesn't get you anywhere. <laughs> that's magical. It's it's everything. That's everything a person with anxiety needs to know right there is every everything with somebody with stress needs to know there is you're focusing on things that don't do anything. I so wish that we could have saved that quote for the end of the podcast <laughs> that would have been a great way to sign off you know we can just as, sign off with an alrighty then yeah as van wilder said geez yeah that transitions into the uh the book that i'm reading too which is which is a book i think everyone at some point in their lives should either thumb through or own which is um 500 speeches you should know and there are some absolutely amazing speeches in there. Um, and I feel I, I've got that's yet another book I want to loan to you at some point. It is an unbelievable piece of, of it, 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 an unbelievable collection of speeches. Anyway, yeah, that seems like a book that I would just devour. I love, I love books like that. Um, not even just on speeches. Like I have five hundred movies you should see. One thousand and one song. I love that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Little digestible things that I just because uh, I'm I'm the weirdo. I mean, people ask me like. How do you find things to read and stuff like that? It's because I buy these things and I'm the person who actually goes and finds the things that are in these lists. How do you feel about that in, in its web format? Like, I mean, so much of our, our, our current web culture is based on the top 10 and top five lists and stuff like that. Oh, I feel like, yeah, if you're using a list as a way to market your writing because you're like, people love lists, then you're a douchebag. <laughs> I mean, just say something. Don't, don't, market your your article before you make a point if you make a point and it ends up having to take the format of a list the message should dictate the format not the format dictate dictate the message and that's why you're a douche because you're uh, not a writer you're a marketer i'm glad you said that because i feel so strongly about that. <laughs> yeah. i hate it I, I detest it. I mean, I, I think that, don't get me wrong, there are times where a list is obviously appropriate, but for the most part, it, it's literally just clickbait and marketing. And I say that at a time when I'm writing an article that is list-based, but it's, that was the subject, literally, I was given. You know, I didn't really have a choice on it. 
and I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to title it like top 10, whatever. It's just going to be like four things, but I'm going to dig into those four things. And I think the big problem with those lists more than anything is not that it's a list format. It's that there's nothing said in the list. It's like a quick way for people to write something without ever saying anything. Sure. Like top 10 movies that I loved. And then they just list the movies, but they don't tell you why they loved them. Or they do. It's like three sentences, which is useless to all of us. Yeah. (laughs) And this is coming from a person who loves lists. I love lists because, like I said, I'm the person who digs into lists. And there's not a person I've ever met in my life who makes more lists than you two, by the way. (laughs) And, I mean, as I'm sitting at my desk right now, visible and within arm's reach, I have... The new book of lists by David Walashensky. I can't even say his name. Um, I have The Order of Things. <laughs> oh, man. 1,000 wow. years, 1,000 people. I mean, there's books of lists everywhere here. But the difference is that these things dig into what those lists mean. Well, not the not the book of lists. That's literally just a book of lists. <laughs> but it's weird lists, so it's cool. Like celebrity, celebrities with tattoos or celebrities um, – well, it's not just celebrities. I should say something else. <laughs> I don't know. Like, you know, books about the South. And just like it's very – the topics are very specific, so it's kind of interesting. But not as interesting as these other ones that really dig in. What are you – speaking of that, uh, would you qualify those as the things that you're reading right now? No, I'm – those are just on the shelf in front of me. Um, the book of lists, the reason that one's within arm's reach is because as I've switched to themes on the vlog, um, which basically means I switched to topics. Every episode has a topic. I've been looking through the book of lists just to see if it would spark any theme ideas because I'm trying to create a a bank of ideas so that every day I can look and go, okay, which one of these do I feel like doing? Not that I've done that yet. I just kind of decide in the shower so far. <laughs> uh, like today's happiness, and I'm not even sure why. Mm, interesting. How yeah. do you make that decision? Like what prompts you to do that? Gut. Interesting. Yeah, that's probably not the answer you wanted to hear, but <laughs> it's yeah, just... Well, it's, I don't think there's really an answer I wanted to hear. It's just... it. For, for decisions like that, they usually come out of weird places um, and they come out of odd circumstances. So I'm actually not too surprised that they're coming from your gut in that sense. Um, here's something I've never really talked about before. This is a strange thing and maybe a little bit out there for people. But ever since I was a kid, I always had this thing where um, people would ask me if I wanted to do something. And there would be like this split second we're talking it happens in a nanosecond but it's a very just concerted thought and i they asked me you know like hey, do you want to go to great america and in that nanosecond i try to see if i can imagine myself being there oh interesting and if i can't imagine be- myself being there then i say no because i assume that means i don't want to go mm. and that's kind of how i decide for the vlog i i'm running topics through my head and then there's just this couple nanoseconds where I go, is, can I imagine myself talking about that today? Yep. And I think it's just a way of me channeling my desire into something more logical. But that's essentially how I decided. That's what I mean by gut. You know, it's really funny about that. I, this is, it's hilarious that you say that because I have a very similar, I have a very similar decision-making process for books and movies. 
um, in that if if I in that split second when someone tells me about a movie or or a, or a show, um, I imagine myself in that environment and if it would be interesting to me. This is one of the one of the first memories I have of that is 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 Star Trek. Um, when I was a kid, I went to see Star Trek: um, The Wrath of Khan in, in in the theaters, and it freaked me out. But the world itself was so exciting to me, um, and it was so cool that I you know I, I felt like I wanted to travel the universe basically. So that is definitely it's it's definitely part of my thought process too as well. Which by the way. Um, total segue, completely random, um, but Brian Fuller, who produced um, quite a few shows that I like. Hannibal's one. I forget the other one that was really, really good that I liked. But he's the guy that's doing the new Star Trek series for CBS, and I can't tell you how excited that makes me. I didn't know they were doing a new series. Yeah, I just heard, I just saw the teaser trailer like two days ago, and I, I, I was cautiously optimistic at first. I actually... Um, thought it was going to be a piece of garbage like Enterprise was, um, but then I saw that Brian Fuller was the showrunner and and producer and writer, and I, 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 I haven't been that giddy in a long time. Hey, I'm so out. excited! Yeah, it was unbelievable. I I lost my mind because Hannibal is such an amazing show that's so well crafted to me that I couldn't imagine. Um, you know, any other person in the world other than Brian Fuller running that show. But now that I hear that he's doing Star Trek for CBS, I don't even know. I don't even know what to do with that as, as a Star Trek fan. Are there any uh, is there any information on the concept? Like, is it an Enterprise or is it another ship? It was it, it, it's all being tightly squeezed right now. So there's absolutely zero real information. Um, I, I scoured the web, obviously, after that. And there's a bunch of speculation as to what it might be. But no one from CBS nor has Brian Fuller really stated what the show is going to be about. So, I mean, we're all just going to have to wait till next year and see. But, yeah, next year we're going to have a brand new Star Trek. I'd be surprised if it was anybody on the Enterprise since they're still rocking the uh, movie franchise. Yeah, I, 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 at least there's there's a rumor and innuendo that states that it might link into that universe somehow. But I can't imagine them them using the Enterprise um, as their primary vessel. <laughs> Uh, in in both ways, um, in order to to basically create the environment for the show. Yeah, that movie TV thing is really big right now. That connection thing. Yeah, yeah. You know what I would think? I I just off the top of my head, what what would be fascinating that they haven't done yet is a non Starfleet crew. Oh, interesting. What if it was a Klingon show, or it was a, you know something like that? That might be really fascinating. Yeah, or like a political intrigue show uh, based out of Romulus. Yeah, exactly. There's there's a lot that they could do if they really dug into it. Sure, sure. That's interesting. Or like the the kung fu version of Star Trek, which would take place with Vulcans. Right. Interesting. And going back to what we were saying about like what what you were saying about like not being able to ima- uh, imagining watching something and sometimes not being able to imagine doing it and then not watching it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's why I haven't watched Daredevil yet. I I just can't imagine myself watching it. I see that you you saw an episode. Of season two, at least. Sorry, I've seen season one as well. Sure. It's, I mean, the first five movies already starts, I mean, I'm sorry, the first five minutes of the show, the first episode already starts with a huge mass murder. 
Um, and so just from there, they just hit it hard right away. <laughs> so, so it's whatever savagery that we expected from, from season one, which there are still moments from season one that, that stand out to me as some of the best in, in, you know, produced out of Marvel in the last 20 years. Um, notably the, the fight sequence with Daredevil where it's one continuous shot through that hallway. Um, and so I, I, I'm, I'm. I haven't quite committed to the full season yet, um, nor have I committed to the full season of, of Game of Thrones, which I'm going to do for both at some point. But just right off the bat, Daredevil season two is already hitting it pretty hard, so I, I can't wait. Yeah, I need to. I need to get into that, but I think I'm. I'm actually slowly transitioning into the mood for it because I, I started Arrow, and I think Arrow's. I can see there's a darkness to it that's it might lead me down the path of wanting to watch that season two pretty soon. Sure, sure, sure. And don't get me wrong, like I I, I dug Arrow um as well. I, I don't get me wrong, Daredevil's Daredevil, so it's 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 a completely different animal in a lot of ways. But Arrow for for being a show that's supposed to be for a younger audience is actually a pretty dark show. Mm-hmm. And yeah. there's a surprising level of complexity. I still I'm st- I, I'm still finishing season one, so I can't make a complete. I have like four episodes left. Um, I still think that there's more complexity in Flash, even though like Flash is less dark. Mm-hmm. I feel like there was more character complexity in the sense. I, I, I agree with you because I feel like he goes on a longer journey. And I think it has a lot to do with Tom Cavanaugh's character. Um, what's his name? Doctor. Uh, it doesn't matter. Tom Cavanaugh's character has so much complexity and uh, I don't know. It, I'm definitely, definitely watching Arrow now getting the Buffy vibe from this one too. Sure. And then having J. August Richards show up in one episode. Yeah. Yeah. Can't yeah. have been an accident. <laughs> Not a chance. <laughs> so uh, but it's, it's actually, it's, it's a lot better than I thought it was going to be. I didn't think it was going to be bad. I just didn't think I was going to transition to it well because I liked the Flash so much mm-hmm. that I thought, you know, like there would be like this inherent competition. I haven't got to the point where he shows up in one of the episodes yet, which I'm actually chomping at the bit to happen now. Mm-hmm. But uh, the woman who plays the mother on Arrow is really good. Yeah, I agree. I've seen her before. I can't remember in what, but she's a very good actress. There's such different shows, though. You know, the the the, the difference between Flash and, and Arrow, like, is so so thorough. I feel like they're they're two guys coming. They're they're gonna meet in the middle. Like, I feel like Arrow is coming from one direction, and Flash is coming from another, and they're gonna they're they're gonna find a weird mid ground. Um, like, you know, but I forget what is the what is the 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 Arrow character's alter ego name? I forget his name. Oliver Queen. That's right, Oliver Queen. He's gonna find a midground. Like he's gonna he's gonna learn to lighten up and be a little more happy. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it seems it seems like that's kind of the almost like the gist of the show. Sure, sure. Um actually did you see this thing about Tom Cavanaugh speaking of which Tom Cavanaugh was on some podcast and basically he said uh Brian Singer made a mistake by not casting Grant Gustin, the guy who plays the Flash now, mm-hmm. in the Justice League movie to play the Flash. Oh, interesting. And it, it was like, it wasn't a huge rant, but he went he went off for a little bit. And basically he said, he's like, um, apparently um, what they what Brian Singer had said was that the reason he didn't want Grant Gustin is because that's not the universe that they're creating. 
And Tom Cavanaugh said something along the lines of, he's like, I understand if you want, you know, your flash to be a long haired slacker. He's like, but you don't know how talented of an act, how talented of an actor Grant Gustin is. If that's what you want, that's what he can be. Everybody looks at him and sees him as this clean cut person. They're like, but that's the flash. That's the character he's playing. That's not who he is. That's how talented of an, and it was just really cool to hear an actor standing up for one of his co-stars. Mm-hmm. And then he kind of ended it with saying, he's like, but he's like, I don't think Grant will want to do it anyways, because it's not to his advantage to just keep playing the same role. Sure, sure. And I just thought it was a very interesting, you know, a lot of times there's a lot of politics in Hollywood and people keep their mouth shut. And it's interesting when people actually say something honest and pure. And especially when it's something like that, where you're sticking up for a, uh, you're sticking up for a co-star slash fellow actor. And I, 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 I've, I, I just, I can't remember the last time I, I heard an actor do that. So for, I agree with you. It's such a rare and, and, and poignant thing when it actually does happen. Yeah. And I think, uh, I mean, it, it was done very diplomatically. It's not like he was ripping into Brian Singer or anything like that, sure. but it's just refreshing. It's really refreshing. You know, speaking of Brian Singer, I'm starting to seriously, I, I was such a Brian Singer fan for so long but he's let me down so many times now that I'm not sure if I like him anymore. Yeah. To be honest, uh, I'm going to be honest right now. I really can't remember what he did other than <laughs> the comic book movies and usual suspects. Like what else has he done? I don't, can't even remember. Uh, that's a, that's, that's, that's a good point. Actually. I can't remember either. And I'm actually, I, I kind of like that so far we haven't searched anything. I like the idea of not knowing. Yeah, and to be honest with you, I feel like it, this is one particular instance where I think if I cared enough about Brian Singer, I would search. But because I just don't care, um, he just hasn't done anything very interesting to me in a while. And like the, he he there is there are so many glaring, terrible things that happened in 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 that la- the X Men Last Stand. Like I, I I just I could not forgive him for that movie. Um, and I feel like according to, to everything that I've seen about age of apocalypse, that, that it's, it's, it's worse in a lot of ways. And I, 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 I can't do it. I just can't do it. Am I confusing Brian Singer and Zack Snyder? Yes, probably. Zack Snyder. I just hate with a passion period, but whatever. Which one is the one that's doing the justice league? That is uh, Zack Snyder. Okay. Brian Singer, Brian Singer's the X-Men guy. Okay. I had them backwards. Yeah, Zack Snyder's just a tireless hack to me. Um, and I, I, you know, other than Man of Steel, which I think, to me, Man of Steel was his best work. Um, everything else that he's done is such, I just, I've hated almost all of it, you know? I still, I'm still really curious about Batman versus Superman. I need to see it. Yeah, I, f- I have a feeling that Batman versus Superman is going to run along the same lines as uh, the Fantastic Four um, and Age of Apocalypse to a certain extent, which is I don't think it's going to be as bad as people say that it is. Um, and I, I, I think that it will be entertaining enough to at least hold the attention of, of of most people who aren't going into it with a sour taste before they even watch it. You know, right. Like uh, I watched the Fantastic Four movie this week, the most recent one with um, Kate Mara as Sue Storm, and she's smoking hot. Um, but I went into it really expecting to be a stinker. Because yeah. everybody's like, it bombed, it was a flop. I watched the whole thing. It was The reason I watched it, it was free on HBO. I'm like, yeah, all right. Um, I liked it. It wasn't great. I wouldn't 
really care to see another one, but I, I think it's better than the third X-Men movie was. Huh. That's not saying a whole lot though. That was probably one of the worst comic book movies ever made. I, in my estimation, other than Batman and Robin. Uh, oh, thank you for reminding me of that one. Yeah, that movie. That movie's <laughs> unique with that. But, you know, at least with Batman and Robin, they didn't take <laughs> themselves very seriously. And it's Clooney with with bat nipples and, and you know, roller skating. Or I'm, I'm sorry, ice skating bad guys. And, and the oh, my God. Was the, the mega pun machine, which was Arnold Schwarzenegger. Like, I... I I, I at least can forgive that because it knew it was campy and went full camp versus X-Men Last Stand, which was a movie that took itself way too seriously and still sucked. <laughs> way too seriously. I think when I think of Batman and Robin, you know what I think of? I think of some guy in a back room doing a ton of blow, just keep writing things on a list. And then we want this. And then we want this. And then we want this. And then like they try to squeeze it all into that movie and you go in and you feel like you just watched one really bad commercial. Yeah, and I feel like somewhere along the line, he and his set designer um, did a whole bunch of acid on top of that <laughs> um, to to fuel the coke binge and created this tapestry of you know uh, seizure inducing sequences that were just so hard to watch. Yeah, it's it's easy to forget all the bad ones. <laughs> it's it's funny because now that I that we're talking about it, I kind of want to go back and see it. Yeah, there's a certain there's a certain nostalgia for something that awful. Do you remember that Drew Barrymore's in that movie? Oh no, I didn't remember that. Uh, what is that? There's um, wait, is that Alicia Silverstone you're thinking of? No, it's Drew Barrymore. So there's Two Face has the two girls, black one's black, one's white. It's like sugar and spice or something like that. Mm-hmm. She's the she's the one in all white. Like they literally paid Drew Mar- Drew Barrymore to come in and do like four minutes. That's how much money was blown on that movie. Jeez, what a nightmare! What a nightmare <laughs> that movie was. I mean, I can't even imagine. I, I I can't even imagine watching that as a final product, as an actor, and going, "How did I get involved in a project that looked like this?" And I think these are the things that um, we need to remind my remind ourselves of when we watch movies like The Fantastic Four and say it's awful. It's not awful. Mm-hmm. It's okay. It's mediocre. It's Hollywood C, you know, because we've had way worse. And everybody that's complaining about Batman versus Superman and complaining about Age of Apocalypse, go back and watch those movies and then just put the zipper back on your mouth. Yeah, exactly. And, and not only that, but I mean, the, the class of comic book movies as they are now. I mean, I think it all kind of be, for me, don't get me wrong. The first Batman uh, with Michael Keaton was pretty good. But for me, the first, the first comic book movie that didn't feel like a comic book movie and just happened to feel like a great movie about a comic book was Batman Begins. Um, the first mm-hmm. Chris Nolan project where you learn who Bruce Wayne is, you learn how he became what he became. And it was a really well executed movie from beginning to end like if i didn't know anything about batman i i could care less whether batman existed or not if i just saw that movie as a moviegoer without any preconceived notions or any history on the character i would have loved that movie anyway and it's i mean it's the first comic book movie that took comic books seriously that's why sure Sure, definitely. Everybody else built in a certain level of camp because they felt that was necessary because they're like i know we're making a kid thing for adults mm-hmm. um that's not what he did he just yeah. said, so what's the story? Let's make the movie. And 
I think that that's why he deserves a place. I mean, he's he's the spawn of all of this. People go back to Sam Raimi. No, Spider Man was still cheesy. Sorry, mm-hmm. I didn't even like Tobey Maguire. So take that too, guys. I thought Andrew Garfield was better. Agreed. Actually, I'm actually being pretty aggressive today. <laughs> <laughs> And maybe it's because we're fil- uh, filming, because we're recording late. Yeah, and you've had a semi-frustrating day leading up to this already, so the truth is just coming out. <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't know. It's just, I I think I get I get tired of hearing people moan and complain about the same thing that everybody else is moaning and complaining about, because I don't think that they're really complaining because it bothers them. They're complaining because they're supposed to. Yeah, and it's that uh, that uh, that that goes back to a topic I've had on our Trello list for a really long time, which is there's nothing more annoying and pretentious to me than going on art walks or going to gallery show openings and and seeing or listening to the inane crap that comes out of people's mouths when it comes to what they like or don't like and why. You know, it's funny. I saw you you had put that in there a few weeks ago, and I, I feel the same way. I've avoided going to art shows because it I don't like it. Mm-hmm. I I and it's it's unfortunate because we have a lot of artist friends and I I want to go and support them, but I don't like being around the people that are at art shows. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I don't get me wrong though. Most of the time when we end up going to art shows, we end up hanging out with the the people we want to hang out with anyway. But and standing you know, on the sidewalk. Yeah, exactly. And but I just I went to an art show with Crystal a couple of weeks ago, which is what spawned that original note. Um, and just hearing the the just the idiocy that would just stream out of people's mouths was just and and you're right a lot of it was the the same kind of stuff we're talking about when it comes to to um popular hate when it comes to comic book movies for example people dislike something because it's popular to dislike it um instead of actually having a real and and genuine opinion about something and that's just so obnoxious to me so absolutely obnoxious you know what i think of when i think of of this idea of this pretension at art shows have you seen annie hall by woody allen no i have not okay there's first of all watch that movie that movie is amazing yeah you guys can say all you want about woody allen as a person and i will agree with you but he made some damn good films and that's one of them um probably his best uh but there's a part where he's standing in line to go see a movie and i can't remember it's like some art house movie or something and there's a guy in front of him in line talking to somebody else it's his date or something like that and he's talking about i think it's malcolm uh mclewin and woody allen's character alvi just starts getting upset he gets upset and, and diane keaton's like what's what's you know, basically, what's bothering you? He's like this guy right here. He's you know, like he's talking about he's talking about this like he knows what he's talking about, and he's, he doesn't know what he's talking about. And he's like, I wish I had Malcolm McLuhan here right now because he would. And then all of a sudden, like Malcolm McLuhan pops up out of line and looks at the guy and he goes, "You obviously know nothing of my work." And it's just like this <laughs> beautiful. Like I've butchered it here in this description, but like. It won't ruin it because when he, those movies are so funny that when he nails it, it even if you've been told what's going to happen, it's still funny. Um, but basically, that captures all of it. Where it's like two pseudo intellectuals just talking about something, and like you don't even know what you're talking about. And then, boom, here's the truth, and you just wish you could drop that truth on him. That's amazing. 
Yeah, it, it it's gotten to the point now where I I refuse to have conversations with people at at art shows. At, I, I'm, at, that's that's mean of me to say. Like it sounds pretentious of me to talk about pretension in such a way at, at gallery shows, but you know I I think at least on some level, um, at least for the people that we know, there's a certain level of of understanding that goes f- that goes beyond just the social acceptance of certain things being cool or not cool. I think what it really comes down to is that the people that that I respect have style and are not necessarily trendy. If they're, what they're doing is also inherently trendy, then that's fine, but they don't do it because it's trendy. You know what I mean? And so because of that, I feel like the people that I'm, I'm, I'm specifically talking about are the ones that are bandwagon and jumpers, and I just can't deal with that type of person. Right. For example, I don't like house music, but I will listen to anything that Giovanni produces because that's his style. That's what he's doing right now. That's what he wants to make right now. And I love everything he makes because I love the dude. He's a great dude. And it's, it, you know, it's like it has nothing to do with trends, has nothing to do with popularity, has nothing to do with personal taste sometimes. Mm-hmm. It just has to do with. Like you said, you're like this person. Why do I like this when I like every other style of music of that style of music? I dislike. Mm-hmm. Oh, because this person is doing it in a way that's an inherently genuine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's why I feel like everything he produces is genuine. Yeah, I mean, I, it's 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 funny that you say that. I, I I just recently started listening to a a, a podcast. Um, and it's not really a podcast that I would find myself listening to if I really had a choice, but because the two, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to look this up because we, I guess that's kind of the, 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 the statement that we've made for the day, right. uh, the two people who are running the podcast, but it's, it's a podcast called My Favorite Murder. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just on the surface, the name by itself already turns most people off to what it might be, but it's one of the funniest um, most sincere and most screwed up podcasts I've ever heard. It's, 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 Incredible for for anyone looking for a podcast that's absolutely awesome, um, but yeah, they just basically talk about their favorite murders. Um, that's it, it's it sounds worse than it is, <laughs> and 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 they even say the same thing. Like you know, disregard the title; it sounds worse than it is. They're just they're just talking about you know murder cases that they research every week, but they're also both comedians, so they're both really really funny. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's it, I, I discovered it through the Cracked podcast, which is also one of my mainstays when it comes to uh, podcasts in general. Um, and they were interviewed as guests. And it was just it was just an absolutely fascinating couple of episodes on both sides of the equation. And I definitely think everyone should go out and check it out. But, you know, to your point, I don't think I would have I, I, I don't necessarily like true crime podcasts that much. And there's a bunch of them out there. Um, but I think because they do it in such a unique way, uh, because they're so funny, um, I, and I know it sounds really terrible to be laughing about a murder about po- a, a podcast about murder, but I think it is one of the most entertaining podcasts I've ever listened to. It sounds fascinating. It sounds really unique, actually. Yeah, it's great. What podcast do you listen to? I mean, let's give us a list, man. Like, we're a podcast. We should talk about podcasts every once in a while. What podcast do you listen to? On a regular basis, um, the ones back to work I, I used to listen to more regularly. Um, as of the last couple of weeks, I haven't really been keeping up on them just because I feel like I have a finite amount of podcast time, and I'm looking for things that are a little different. Um, I used to listen to Mark Maron a lot, but I don't anymore. Um, lately, it's been the Cracked Podcast. Um, 
Nerdist, obviously, because Nerdist is Nerdist. And then I've been diving deep into this, my favorite murder podcast. I think I've listened to four episodes in a row now, and they're all just, they're all amazing, every single one. Cortex is on there too as well, but I, I find that Cortex is kind of like back to work for me, um, which is every once in a while I'll just binge like three or four episodes over like a four-day span. Um, but I don't I, – I have to be in a certain mood to listen to productivity talk. They switched to uh, every two weeks episode now instead of once a week. Oh, really? It's actually okay. annoying me. <laughs> it sounds so petty. <laughs> those guys are only making something I like every so often, and not and as frequent as I want. Those bastards. <laughs> uh, but yeah, back to working cortex are definitely on my list. Also, Tim Ferriss show. I don't. Uh, I don't listen to a lot of interview style podcasts anymore. But that's one I do because some he digs into topics in a way that nobody else does, and the topics that he digs into are really important to me sure um actually there's kevin rose his so tim ferris and kevin rose have a podcast together that they don't do very often and i've never actually listened to it it's called the random show i think oh yeah i've heard of that one which um screws up our seo in some way i'm sure because they're the other random podcast um but kevin rose has his own podcast which he doesn't do on a regular basis he just does it when he feels like it and it's called The Journal. And it's an interview-based one, too. And it's kind of similar to Tim Ferriss's. I think he's only actually done one episode so far. But I, I, I liked it. Um, he asked good questions. And other than that, Dan Carlin's Hardcore History. Oh, yeah. Hardcore History. Oh, I, yeah. I forgot that one's on my list, too, as well. It just takes me forever to chomp through one of those episodes, which is why I'm glad he only releases one like every three or four months. Yeah. I, I find myself doing the same thing. Like the through each, I basically have to listen to the podcast. I, I mean, I'm sorry, each episode about three or four times to completely grasp everything that's in it. And I find that it's one of the few podcasts that I can't just continually listen to in the background as as noise. Like I, I pay attention to that podcast more. Yeah, there's something he has. He's I don't know. He's he's probably one of the most engaging. I would I would almost term him a radio show host. Like, oh, that makes sense. Just yeah. because he deserves to be ranked against people like that as well. Uh-huh. He, he has one of the most engaging just audio styles that I've ever encountered. And it's not because he's super excited or any of those things. Like, he's not pushing it. It's just he's so focused on the material Yeah, that it makes you really focus on the material. And yeah, I think that's why it takes me so long to go. Because the episodes are like three to four hours. Mm-hmm. And that's why it takes me so long to go through one is because if I'm only halfway paying attention, I turn it off. Yeah, exactly. Because I I know that if I don't pay attention, I'm not going to have any idea what he's talking about in 20 minutes. Sure, sure. And he covers so much ground in a short period of time that even though it sounds like four hours is a long time, you could easily cover that same amount of topics in eight hours and still not completely get it all. Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. Sure. What are you reading these days? Hmm, still working on thinking fast and slow, though I haven't picked it up in a few days. Mm-hmm. Um, what did I just, I picked up some, oh, I read that Justice League trade book that I bought, that first one. Oh, yeah. That was actually really good. Um, I didn't realize that it was Jeff Johns who wrote it. Oh, interesting. So, it was Jeff Johns, and then the artist was Jim Lee, and Jim Lee is the X-Men from when we were a kid. Yep. So that was pretty awesome. 
I've walked by that that trade book so many times and and not picked it up. <laughs> it's it's pretty good. I mean, I don't have anything to compare it to because I haven't read any other Justice League stuff before. But I I enjoyed it. Um, maybe because like DC is fascinating to me right now, <laughs> and he's I mean he's kind of he's the reason. I mean he's the guy behind Arrow and Flash. I wish that the cinematic universe were half as interesting. I, I, I so I, I, they've got to pick someone other than Zack Snyder if that 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 whole that whole jaunt into the the comic book movie world is going to survive. Zack Snyder's not the guy, at least in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing: I think their casting is spot on. Sure. Oh, I agree with that. Yeah. I think Henry Cavill, Cavill, Carville, um, as Superman is fantastic. He's the only Superman that. I don't want to say that only Superman that I liked because Christopher Reeves was awesome, but more because Christopher Reeves was awesome. It's the first Superman that didn't feel like a nerd. Sure. You know, like there's something inherently goody two shoes about Superman in a lot of his incarnations. Mm -hmm. And this was the first Superman that I was like, oh, and it's not like they pushed it too far. Like they were going to do with the Nicolas Cage one, which I probably would have still liked. (laughs) Um, and then I think that Jason Momoa, the guy from Game of Thrones as Aquaman, that Perfect. sounds awesome. Yeah. And Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman, fantastic. I oh, even think... She, dude, she looks so good as Wonder Woman. It's amazing. I even think Ben Affleck as Batman makes sense to me completely. I'm like, yeah, dude, he looks like Bruce Wayne to me. Not only that, but older, more pissed off Bruce Wayne, which is what they were going for. Right. Perfect. Bat, it's perfect. Batfleck is the guy. And it I think he has my favorite Batman costume in any movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. That, that costume looks awesome. Well, Zack Snyder's always been good at visuals. Like, that's never been the problem with him. He's just not very good at character development. <laughs> yeah. You know, and and it's unfortunate for the DC universe in the sense that I think they just jumped on the train way too late. Um, you know, this is something that I was talking about with, with um, I forget, maybe it was Brandon, but... Um, it's, it's great that you can jump into an Avengers movie or, or, uh, Captain America Civil War, for example, and there doesn't need to be a whole lot of, of, of backstory or character development because each of those characters has had their own movies and their own, their own thorough development through their own titles that you don't, you just kind of, they've just kind of become friends, um, and I don't think that the DC universe has established that at all. So we don't know anything about these people. And so I think that it's tough because Zack Snyder, whoever's in charge of the production uh, from head to toe on the writing side, makes the assumption that we're supposed oh, excuse me, we're supposed to know about these characters, but we just really don't. Right. I mean, other than Superman, which is the thing that Superman and Batman, which is the thing that makes me laugh is the two characters we know the most about are the ones that they keep telling us the backstory on over and over again. Oh, yeah. That's why I liked Man of Steel so much is because they didn't do that. I'm like, yeah, I know who Clark Kent is. I don't give a good crap about Clark Kent. I want to see Superman. Yeah. I want to see a guy who can punch through a wall. Yeah, or fly through the air and shoot laser beams out of his eyes. Right. Totally. I don't know. It's going to be interesting. I think that they can still salvage that. I still think that... um, with the casting that they've done, if they can just start nailing the writing, and I can't judge the last movie once again because I haven't seen it. Sure. But I think they could still pull it out. Um, whereas 
I'm not surprised that Apocalypse is a convoluted mess because I kind of feel like if you weren't paying attention, the X-Men movies have always been a convoluted mess. There's just parts of them that we really, really liked. Sure, I agree with that. Including the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's another great example right there is there's some spectacular casting in that stuff that kind of salvages some of the weaker writing. Yeah, and I mean, if it, it, it's funny that you say that because I've always thought this, um, but I've never wanted to say it out loud because I didn't want to get beat up by half of our friends, um, is that I don't think any of the X-Men movies have really been that good. I think they've, some of them have been salvageable, some of them have been okay, but not a single one of them has been a standout good movie. No. And I think, and I think that right. that's, that's, that it's painful for me to say that because I like Brian Singer so much, and I also really love the X-Men. Like, the X-Men were my, my superhero team, and Wolverine was my favorite character um, when I was growing up. So for me to say that actually hurts on many levels. But if I'm absolutely honest and I leave all the nostalgia aside, I cannot say that any of the X-Men movies were great movies. I agree 100%. And X-Men was my comic too. And Wolverine was my guy as well. And it's you're right. And the reason that we're excited about it is because it's just really cool to see them actually making the movies. Yeah. And we're like, oh, you're making my character. And when you love a character and then you get to see it on the screen, it doesn't matter if it's good or not that first time because you're just stoked to see it. And for our generation, going back to what I said before, we didn't expect it to be good because none of them were good before. Sure. So when they actually started making good ones, all of a sudden it was like, oh, there's a standard now. You know, it's, it's, it, what's funny is I, I, you know, going back to the thing you said earlier about, you know, Chris Nolan taking Batman Begins seriously and taking, taking the character and the story seriously for the first time. I, although I agree with you that I think that the serious side of it definitely gave the comic book character so much more meat. I actually really, really like that in the current incarnation with the Russo brothers and Kevin Feige and Joss Whedon, that they're starting to introduce humor and a little bit of campiness back into the comic book movies. Because I feel like they were starting to take themselves a little too seriously. Right. Yeah, there's a, there's a balance that you've got to find for sure. Sure. And I, I do think that there was actually the Avenger movies always had a, a, a humor to them. Sure. You know, the whole, like, Thor would always say something offhand. Sure. Um, I don't know. Oh, you know what I want to bring up that, while we're on this subject, before we move on to something, um, you know how the General Zod thing drove you nuts in Man of Steel? Sure. You know what's starting to drive me nuts, but at the same time is totally not ruining the Flash? Mm. There's no possible way that anybody should be able to beat Flash's butt. If he can move fast enough to go to another city that's however, like, 40-minute train ride or something like that in, like, four seconds, nobody should be able to punch him. Ever. Yeah, that's true, but what that comes down to is reaction time. You know, at that point, it's not the physical capability of the character. It's about how quickly the human brain can react to something being, you know... Well, here's the thing, though. When he's in speed mode, right... You can sometimes you see it and he sees things moving in slow motion. Yeah. So he's in, what do they call that? They call it, is it speed mode? Uh, in the show, they call it something like that. The speed, yeah, something like speed that. force, speed force. There you go. So yeah, when yeah. he's in speed force, right, that's how things work. But then they, they make it pretty clear that he doesn't get tired. So why would he ever leave speed force when he's in a fight? 
You know, like he'll move fast and then he stops and he moves fast and he stops. If I was the Flash and I was in a fight, I would never come out of speed force. Sure. Well, that would make him invincible. <laughs> and I think that I, what's funny is um, I don't remember what I was listening to. Somebody was talking about, oh, I think it was actually back to work and they were talking about Spider-Man and how this Spider-Man that's in uh, Civil War is the best representation of Spider-Man that's been in any movie. Um and they said, you know, like, if you're really a Spider-Man fan, you know that Spider-Man moves his spidey senses. It moves him involuntary, inv- involuntarily. Yep. He dodges things, uh, and they've never done that in the movies. He dodges things without even meaning to. If he's unconscious, his body will still do it. Yep. And they said, you can't do that completely in a movie because it would be really boring. Sure. And I think Spider-Man and The Flash are the same in that sense. It's like, in reality... They might be two of the most powerful characters. Sure. But because of that, it'd be really boring. It's kind of like Superman. Like, nobody should ever be able to kick Superman's butt. But he gets his butt whooped all the time. Yeah. Because if he just walked up and punched somebody and they died, that would be a really lame movie. Well, I mean, Superman, for all intents and purposes, could literally fly through the planet Earth and destroy it. Right. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's, I think that's the one of the inherent problems with taking comic books too seriously is when you start putting too much to it and you don't allow yourself that suspension of disbelief, you rob yourself of that suspension of disbelief. You, you unravel the whole thing. Well, I think, I think some of that, it's interesting that you bring that up because I think one of the things that was really interesting to me about, um, you know, because I was a huge fan of Thanos and the Infinity Gauntlet in the comic books. And I went back and I read the Infinity Gauntlet. And I, I remember one of the things that really stuck out to me as being great about that sequence of issues was the fact that they talk so much about whether or not a person was ready for godlike power versus having godlike power. Um, and I think that there's, there's, it's, it's, there's something very meaningful to me about, about having a level of understanding of the cosmos or, or, or culture that that defined how you would use your powers and i think that you know obviously you don't have enough time in the movies to show something like that or how a person would come to that um with the exception of dr strange apparently that's what that entire movie is about um but other than that they haven't really done that with the the more powerful characters and i think that the reason why is because it's you just don't have enough time to show that that would be a great tv show right yeah, exactly. It would be a fantastic TV show. It would you know, be the Breaking Bad of comic books. Yeah, watching a character literally understand how to use their powers and when they're appropriate. Not just how, but why. And I think that's the big thing. And to really drag it out. A lot of times I, I feel like they speed things up because they're worried about ratings. Sure. You know, it's like, oh, well, okay, sure. We He'll have it figured out in the next episode. And I understand that. But, like, for example, one of my favorite shows of all time, Homicide Life on the Street, they did something unheard of at the time is they had their strongest character which was andre brower as frank pembleton and he's strong virile and they and i don't remember what season was but they gave his character a stroke oh interesting because of the stress right of his job and the plan was to have him take a year or two to fully recuperate so that he could slowly build the character you know like uh put in speech because Andre Brower is a superbly talented actor to, to work the speech impediment of the, of the, the stroke slowly out. And apparently after, I don't know how many episodes it was, they started speeding it up because 
people were mad. Oh, and how awful that is. That is terrible. I can't, by the way, on this subject, I can't, I, I literally can't wait for you to watch Hannibal. And, I'm probably going to love it. Right. And it, it, it because it, it, to me, here's my pantheon and you've seen two out of three of these, um, when it comes to taking their freaking time to develop something, um, the killing and true detective. Yeah. were two shows that took their sweet time to develop things. And Hannibal is just like that. Have you, do you have Amazon prime? Technically, but I since they don't put anything on Apple TV, I never watch it. Uh, it's worth it just to watch it on your phone, just for the sake of it. Watch Amazon because the season one and season two of uh, Hannibal are on Amazon Prime, and you've you've just got to see it. You really can watch can. it on this beautiful widescreen monitor I have in front of me. Oh yeah, there you go. It's it's a it's an amazing show, um, and and you'll now understand once you see that show, you'll now understand why I'm so excited that Brian Fuller is in full charge of the new star trek series because if they do it right if they do star trek the way that i want it to be to be done they will take their time and develop the crew develop the relationships rebuild you know the political struggles within starfleet and 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 the external struggles that come from that they will take their time you know because that's i mean i love next gen i love the original series i love ds9 but after a while you kind of start to figure out their formulas even though their formulas are inherently different from series to series there is definitely a certain formula that is taking place in the, you know in, in the construction of the episodes and i hope that they don't do that that's one thing i actually really loved about hannibal is that it was a free flowing structure and from epi- one episode to the next you didn't know you didn't know how they were going to they were going to begin or end or what was going to be important and what wasn't going to be important. So I think there's such there's such an amazing an an amazing fulfillment that you get out of watching a show that really takes its time to develop. I think that's why Breaking Bad will always be in the pantheon of shows that will be mentioned is TBS gave them that time. Um and hopefully because of that, more shows will do that. I think we're starting to see that. Netflix allows their shows to develop, it seems. That's true. Yeah, Daredevil definitely took its time. Holy cow. And Jessica Jones, even though sometimes it was annoying. Yeah. <laughs> at how long it took to develop some of that stuff. I uh, feel like some of that was a little too slow, but I understood, I, I understood where they were going with it, so I forgave it. Yeah, and I think it's just because there's an inherent weakness in, in what's her name? She's not she's not as strong as an act of an actor as the guy who plays Daredevil. Kristen what's it? Kristen Stewart? No. No. Stewart. She's uh, hot. Sorry. Um yeah, I I don't remember her name. It's fine. <laughs> um Yeah, that was a good accidental transition from Breaking Bad to Daredevil. Or, I mean to Jessica Jones since she was in both of them. Oh, true. Yeah. I forget that. And mm. it is now one hour and 30 minutes into this podcast we need to shoot it in the foot and run (laughs) so um what what the one last thing i want to ask you about and it'll probably segue into some kind of meaningful quote um (laughs) you hope (laughs) yeah i hope anyway we're just gonna sound like idiots and like blurb our way out of this but so what's what if you if you could have one creative project to start right now what would it be and why would I be freed of everything else? Yeah. If you could just drop everything and just start one thing, what would it be? Mm, that's tough. I mean, my immediate reaction is I would love to 
start writing Charlie, the novel again. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I didn't have anything else going, even I, even then I wasn't really doing it. So that's probably not a good answer. Um, there's also another part of me that says it would be really cool to make a film. Yeah. I mean, I, I have a sliver of experience with camera and stuff like that. So it would be really cool to try to do something like that just so I can learn a whole bunch of crazy stuff that I wouldn't learn from doing a vlog. Sure. What about you? Hmm. Uh, that's a good one. It's funny. I it, usually people ask people usually ask questions um, with the intention of having someone ask the question back so they can answer it. Um, <laughs> but I absolutely didn't even think about it at all. Um, you know, I, I I'd want to go back and and learn piano to a level of mastery that I've never had. I want to be able to just fly on a piano. You know what's funny about both of our answers? Mm. It's the the only thing that um, is magical in the inqu- in the equation is it's not neither of us pick something that we don't have skills or um, anything that prevents us from doing it. The magical thing in the formula is that everything else would have to disappear. Yeah. So I think that maybe that's our word of wisdom today is what are you willing to throw away to get things in life that you want? And the answer should be everything. Ow!